Good morning. Man, it's great being here with you this morning. My name is Ben Chapman. I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. I'm really excited. If you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 2. Now, maybe I shouldn't be so excited about Job chapter 2. Uh, maybe my excitement will wane here in a little bit. It'll, it'll fall off. But Job chapter 2 is where we'll be. That's right in the middle of the Bible. You can grab up your phone. You can look at your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, it's version. Go ahead and go to the app store and get that. Or you can get the Luminous Church app and follow along in the Bible app there. But We'd encourage you to do that this morning. Uh, we, we decided to um, do something a little, a little uh, challenging for our church. Uh, let's go through the book of the, uh, a book of the Bible, Job. Let's do a survey, meaning we're going to go all, from chapter 1 all the way through. We're going to see what it's like. We're going to see what it says. And we're going to do this right before Easter because there's no better way to grow your church than do Job, right? And... and <laughs> I, I, I could tell, like, I don't know if it's spring break that more less people are here, but uh, maybe, maybe it's spring break. We'll blame spring break and not Job. And so, as I confessed last week, uh, it was years before I learned how to say Job. I, I kept calling it Job, and, and I was so confused. Uh, how, how come, you know, everything's phonetically correct in the Bible? Why are they calling Job, 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 Job? Why do they do that? But they do. So his name's Job. Um, and he had a great job, but he no longer <laughs> has a great job, as we found out in chapter 1. In chapter 1, um, just to recap, there were four scenes. It's, it, this, this book is often described as a play. It could be a, a play, and there was four scenes that we talked about. There three scenes that we talked about. In scene three, he lost four uh, things. There were four things ripped away from Job, four circumstances that happened to his life. And they were all external. It was these external circumstances like, like his kids and his, his job and his finances and his resources. And all these things were taken away. And, and, and Job was still the man that Job was from, before that moment. He still had integrity. He was still upright. He was still righteous. We're going to read in Job 2 that, that Satan um, actually gets permission to attack Job himself directly. And if you're like me, I, if external situations happen, I can escape from it. I can compartmentalize it. I, I can kind of get away for a little bit. But when it happens to your body, there's no escaping. In Job chapter 2, we're going to read that um, right now. So again... In Job 2, 1, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with the loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? 
curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. And when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Father, we just ask, it is by you, Holy Spirit, that allows us to understand Scripture in which Scripture is illuminated. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would illuminate, illuminate Scripture to us. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear and see what we need to see. And Father, I pray that we would not just have a greater understanding of Job, but we would have an understanding of how to apply this into our context. So Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to talk about the two scenes that we just read about in Job chapter 2. Where there's, a, there's a first scene in the heavenlies, and there's a second scene on earth. There are two scenes, and I'm going to tell you that those two scenes are in relationship with one another. Those, those two scenes affect one another. Theologians would call it the primary cause and the secondary cause. That there's this primary cause that has happened, and then there's this secondary cause. Now, how many of you know apologetics is fancy these days? Science is, is helping us discover all sorts of things, how to, deal with, how to deal with disease, how to deal with cancer, how to deal with so many things. We have an understanding of this world. We have, we have invented the iPhone. We, we have done all this stuff. And as a result of all this science and all this discovery, some of that has demystified God. Some of that has, has actually done away with religion. Because we don't need God as much because we have a greater understanding. And, and we see this happen so much. And so what I want to uh, petition to you is that, that there's a primary cause that just happened in heaven. That this weapon is not against flesh and blood, but there is principalities and darkness and powers. And there is a spiritual warfare that is happening. Woo! Came to the wrong church today. Spiritual warfare. What is this pastor talking about? I thought that was the church down the street, the one that I Googled. I didn't want to go there because it looked a little crazy. <laughs> well, yes, we're, we're here, and we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. I think that's very appropriate for us in this context because if you're going to understand anything in the natural, you have to understand the supernatural. The natural is the secondary cause. The, the supernatural is the primary cause. And if we're to have understanding, if we're going to wrestle with suffering and we're going to wrestle with pain and we're going to wrestle with evil and disaster, we need to know that there is a primary cause and that there's something that's happened in the heavenlies, don't we? We need to know this. This is good for us to know. And this doesn't actually do away with science. It strengthens science. It strengthens every academia there is. This is a strengthening that there is a spiritual warfare. There is a primary cause and that God is in control and possesses all of it. And we're caught in the middle of the war, aren't we? We're caught right in the middle. Why did we get caught in the crossfire? I have no idea. I'm not wishing to, to uh, I'm not wishing to expound upon that right now. <laughs> Too hyper. 
Spring forward and come on, somebody. Everything we do in life, there's a battle. Everything we do in life, there's a devil and there's real evil. The evil that we read about in Job, is uh, there's another word that um, could be exchanged for that evil. It's called disaster. It's called disaster, this, the disaster that fell upon Job, this evil that fell upon him. And, and what do we do? We, we have to petition Jesus in the midst of evil. We have to petition Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. Unlike Job, um, Job didn't have Jesus where he spoke these words in Matthew chapter 6. When I learned the Lord's Prayer, do you remember learning the Lord's Prayer as, as you were doing, um, you were going through your classes and whatever religion you grew up in, faith, church house that you grew up in. And it says in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Because there's real evil, and there's real temptation, and we need to get in God's house. We need to get in our position to realize that we need to pray for these things. We need to fight for these things. We need to believe for these things. And the first thing I would love for you to write down is this. Everything is under authority. Point one, everything's under authority. In Job 2, it says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on earth and from walking up and down on it. Everything is under authority. Even Satan's under authority. He's under the authority of God. Um, it, it's hard to believe that in, in today's culture that everything's under authority. In Romans chapter 13, 1, where Paul says you need to submit to the governing authority because it was placed there by God. Does that mean it's good? No. There's a lot of people who don't think our authority right now is that great, you know? There's a lot of people who question the authority. There's a lot of things that happen, but, but the authority is actually placed by God. It doesn't mean it's all good. I mean, you know, Satan's not good. Satan's not good. And yet he had authority by God over Job. That was placed by God. And what happens is, is we want to get rebellious to authority. We want to start sticking it to the man. We want to start doing all these things. I don't have a microphone now, so it's awesome. I get to just <laughs> hammer points. If you feel threatened by that, talk to me after service. I'll stop. But rebellion subject to authority. Subject to the primary cause, I should say. To, to the God who reigns. If you're rebellious and you're a bad boy, you're going to have some bad days because there's a cause and effect that happened, isn't there? That, that, that the, whatever authority is in place that's been allowed and permissible to be in place, there's going to be a cause and effect. There's going to be some ramifications if you don't live like Job lives with integrity if you were to live outside of that. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to walk when you conformed to the ways of this world and, the, and of the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. That there is absolutely, the, the, the devil is roaming around, and he is the power of the air, the prince of the air, and that there's actually, if you are not in Christ, you are under his reign. You are under his rule, and God has made that permissible. Yee! It's like, man, I kind of want to follow Jesus now. 
or not. It's okay. This is what's happening, and this is, this is, there's a real battle. There's spiritual warfare happening, and in this, the primary cause and the secondary cause, we, we have often uh, um, wanted to make the secondary cause the primary. As I talked about with, with science and everything else, we, we want to make a primary of that, that there's, if you get a, a cut and it gets infected, you're going to get, you're, it's going to turn into something. It's going to turn nasty. And, and we know all about that and how to prevent that. And, and therefore, we elevate the natural above the supernatural, don't we, oftentimes? The natural is above the supernatural. The natural supersedes the supernatural. The secondary cause is elevated above the primary cause. Why is this so important for us? Because I compartmentalize and I put God over here and I put everything else over here. Here's my supernatural. Sunday's supernatural. Monday's natural. Tuesday's natural. Tuesday connect group, kind of both. You know, it depends what the questions are. It's important for us to know. This is important for us to discover because, because we have studied this and we've looked at it. And Dr. Timothy Warner, a missiologist who talks about spiritual warfare, says that the Western missionaries would go over to third world countries. And as they're believing for produce and believing God for the rain and believing God to grow the crops and having faith for the supernatural, have faith to do that. The Western Christians and the Western culture has gone over. Hey, man, your problem's not a spiritual problem. You're just using the wrong fertilizer. They're using the wrong fertilizer. Which is true. They're using the wrong fertilizer. But the way that we presented it has caused a secularization of the world. Where the world's becoming more secularized. Where they're elevating something that should not be elevated. See, you can't leave God out of the picture. You can't leave God out of what's happening. And so we look at this, this moment and we look at this primary cause happening in the heavenlies. And we see the secondary cause that's affecting Job. And we have to see his response because if he's listening to worldly wisdom only, he leaves God out of the picture. Second thing I would love to point out is that Job was a man of integrity. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him, destroy him without reason. He had integrity. He feared God and he was upright. If you want to have integrity, fear God and be upright. That's what integrity happens. And integrity is only proven when the pressure hits. Pressure comes and then whatever comes out. Is, is either the same on the outside as it is the inside. It's the same substance. It's the same stuff. Or oh, it's something different. It's something different. Matthew 23, 27, Jesus spoke to all of those who claimed to have integrity, but there was nothing internal. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Hypocrisy and wickedness. We, we see that there's no integrity in the Pharisees. There's no integrity in the Sadducees. But Job was upright. He was blameless. He feared God. He had integrity. When the pressure hit, 
what was going to come out. And that was God's petition to Satan. Put pressure on him and see what comes out. How many of you are in a pressure situation? You maybe just discovered cancer in your family. You may discover cancer in your own body. Maybe, maybe you're on the brinks of divorce. Maybe your, your husband and wife are just at each other. Maybe you're single. You've been looking for a job and you've been putting yourself out there wondering what's going to happen. Put pressure on and see what comes out. See what you're made of. See if it's the same on the outside as it is the inside. And whatever your feet run to is probably what's inside of you. In fact, we see through Scripture over and over again, Proverbs 6, 18, Isaiah 59, 7, Proverbs 1, 16. And when the pressure hits, when wickedness hits, feet are fast to evil. Feet run fast to evil. That's what happens when the pressure hits. And Job had a choice. As pressure was hitting, was he going to run to evil or was he going to be the blameless, upright man who feared God, who had integrity? You put the pressure on and you just get a diamond. You put the pressure on and something amazing comes out. You put the pressure on and God does something incredible. But that's hard to do in immense pain. How many of you had some pain and you've been running to evil? Had a bad day. You know, had a bad day. Went to Lush last night. Had a bad day. Went, you know, went to Burn House. Had a bad day. You know, did all this stuff. I'm not saying those things are bad, but what, what are you running to? Had a bad day. Went to the substance. Had a bad day. Overeating. Had a bad day. Right? Leaving my spouse. Had a bad day. Golfing six hours to ignore my kids. Had a bad day. I mean, what is going on when you have a bad day? Where are your feet running? Job is under immense pain. My pain pales in comparison to Job's pain. And I would say your pain does too. You've had some bad days. You've felt some pain. But let's just see what kind of pain Job is going through. Verse 7 and 8, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. That word scrape is nowhere else in the Bible. The Hebrew word scrape is, is equated with scraping bark off of a tree. That is the pain that Job is feeling. You can only imagine that. I, I just, I think about pulling bark off a tree and it getting stuck in my fingernail and that hurts me, you know? Somebody. And he's sitting, he's sitting in the ashes. You see, it was customary and we still do it now. If somebody's infectious, we put them in isolation. If they're infect, infectious emotionally, if they're infectious Physically, we isolate them, don't we? You can't come to my connect group because you're going to, you know, smell bad. Spiritually speaking. We isolate, and Job is, finds himself in this skin disease, isolated, lonely. In his darkest hour, there's no one there. In his darkest hour, he's sitting in the ashes. In his darkest hour, he grabs this piece of pottery. It's alluded to the fact that he's probably sitting in the city dump. He's probably in the landfill out there where, where all the beggars and homeless and the people who are overlooked are sitting. And he's sitting out there, and he's scraping his wounds. I was thinking about this. It's my personal commentary as I was praying about this and reading Job chapter 2. As I was thinking about his pain and trying to 
have empathy for that. Because I think it's important to have empathy for other situations because then you understand it a little bit more and maybe God would allow you to minister to it. Or at least you would have a burden to pray for it. As I, as I sat there, I was thinking as he's in the city dump, as he's scraping this off, life's pretty bad. But I wonder if this was the landfill that possessed his house that was demolished that just fell on his 10 kids. Was he around rubble that was a constant reminder of the loss that he had? Was he in the situation that not only is my skin infectious, not only is that bad, but I, there's a constant reminder of what I've lost and the kids that I've lost, and this is the rubble that I've seen. It's a bad situation. And in Job 7:21, why do you not pardon my offense and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Sitting in a pile of ashes, probably hoping that he would become ashes himself pretty soon. It's a dark hour, and in this moment, there's the vision. A woman, a wife, his helpmate, the one that he's united together in one flesh, comes at him. She doesn't come with him. She doesn't sit there. She doesn't mourn. In this moment, in this context, she comes at him. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? Shall not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Your counsel to others reveals how well your relationship is with God. You see, I wonder if his wife, she was grieving. She was in pain. She was in heartache. She lost her 10 kids. I mean, there's so much. But, but her counsel to her husband was not that of God. It was actually to curse God and to curse Job. It's amazing in this moment, and I, I'm reminded that our weapon is not against flesh and blood, but how crafty is the enemy? How crafty is the enemy to go after the produce of the womb of Job's wife, to take that from her, to ensnare her, to trap her, to start accusing her husband? And we find that all the time in marriage and relationships and friendships. And it doesn't have to be just a wife. This could be a husband as well. When the enemy comes up, you start believing things, you start holding things, and you start bringing accusations to one another. Mark 3.25, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The enemy knows this. Let me divide a house. They'll both turn from God. Let me divide a house, bring division, they'll all turn from God. Let me divide a good father. Let me divide a good mother, and their kids will turn from God. Let me divide a mother and father by, by, by going after the kids. I mean, the enemy is crafty. It's real. It's real. It's a spiritual that's why Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if we were to step in evil, division would ensue. There would be no unity. And without unity, the bride is divided. The church is divided. The people in the church are divided. It says it to downplay her pain because her pain is very real. Her pain makes a lot of sense. But where do you go with your pain? 
Here's my question. When you're hurting, when you're frustrated, are you quick to run to evil? Are you quick to run to other people? Are you quick to tell them about all your problems before you turn to tell God about your problems? You see, God is big. We'll see this throughout Scripture as Pastor Jarrett has the opportunity to share 30 chapters of Job with us. Praise God. Bless him. <laughs> see, God can handle the questions. He handles the questions of Job. He handles what Job is saying. He handles all of that. But I'm telling you, there's people who may not be able to handle the things that you're carrying. There's people that you may be going up to and accusing and talking to, and they just may not be ready. There's times to speak and times to be silent. But I'm thankful because in the last part of the scene, Job has friends. Job has friends. I only wish they had the kind of friends that Job had. You see, Job's friends came from afar. They actually, they, they, they talked on the phone and they said, man, we got to go rescue Job. We got to go help him out. So they decided all together to go over to Job. And maybe they did it for their own strength. I don't know. Maybe they needed strength in numbers to go see the kind of condition Job was in. Maybe they just felt like Job needed three people to come along. Three guys and a youth kid come along to, to help comfort Job. And, and we see this is as they come and they're in this moment and they look at Job and they don't even recognize him. And what did they do? They wept. See, a friend will weep with you. A friend will cry with you. A friend will go to your knees. A friend will go to the dump. A friend will go to wherever you are in your ashes. A friend will go there. And what did they do? They remained silent for seven days and seven nights. For seven days and seven nights, they just sat there. They just sat there in comfort. They just sat there watching and waiting. They just sat there. I can't wait that long. I have a hard time waiting one day without speaking. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I'm going to start talking to you immediately. I'm going to tell you how to fix it. I'm going to tell you where to go to get help. I'm going to tell you all this stuff. But now Job's friends, they just sat there and waited. And we discovered that maybe their advice when they did open their mouth was not godly. But what I'm excited about is that those who are in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to say. The Holy Spirit that Jesus paid the price for, that Jesus opened the door for. As the Holy Spirit came in Luke chapter 12, we see that the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need at the right moment to speak. That's not gospel. That's not just theology. It's not just apologetics arguments with your professor at university. It's in the moments when people are suffering, in the moments when people are hurting, when the moments of people are down and out, and they just need comfort, and they need the word, and they need the Holy Spirit to speak. The Holy Spirit will give you exactly that. But walking this out is much harder than a message, isn't it? much harder than sitting here and saying, that's a good word. I'm going to do that, Pastor. It's a lot harder to walk this out. But we're able to walk it out. You see, Jesus suffered, suffered much more than Job. 
He suffered much more than Job in the flesh. As we close this morning, I want to tell you about how Jesus suffered. How Jesus paid the price and how Jesus, when he was suffering, he didn't have three friends. Frat, his friends ran from him. His friends ran away from him. And Jesus suffered alone. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God in his primary cause decided, I need to crush Jesus. I have to crush my son. I have to give his life. Because if I don't give his life, we won't get to get to the Father. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their sins. He shall bear their burdens. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus suffered more than Job. Jesus suffered so much that, that God didn't spare his life, but God took his life. Jesus suffered so much that as he was suffering, he was forsaken by all. Everyone forsake him. Everyone didn't know him. He was forsaken and hung on the cross with transgressors, accused as a sinner, although he did nothing wrong. He was upright. He was blameless, full of integrity. And as he was on the cross paying you and mine price, and taking our place in substitution and died the death that you and I deserve to die. You and I des deserve to die that death. But he took our place in the great exchange. And three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he is the son of God, conquering death and giving hope to those who suffer, giving hope to those who are in pain because we know that everything in life is temporary. And guess what? He's a friend sticks closer to than a brother he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother jesus will sit with you in your pain jesus will comfort you in every season jesus will speak to your circumstance he is closer than a brother would you stand with me this morning As we look at the book of Job, when we finish the next couple of weeks, I will say this, that in the Bible you have prescriptive and descriptive, maybe describing an account, an event, and you try to put yourself in that situation. You try to be Job and you throw ashes over your situation. <laughs> and then you have prescriptive where there's a prescribed methodology on how to live it out. I'm going to tell you that the prescription is is that we can suffer with hope. That we can suffer well because Christ has paid the price. That when we enter into the King of kings and the glory of God, that this moment is just temporary. I want to pray for you. If you wouldn't mind, take a posture of prayer by closing your eyes and bowing your head. I want to just ask you, 
Maybe you're in a present suffering. Maybe you're in the pressure. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe whatever your pressure is. I want to pray for you that you would be able to resist well. And that your feet would stop fleeing to evil. The negative thoughts that are spoken over your life that you keep declaring over yourself. The things that you keep coming in agreement with. If that's you and you just want prayer, would you raise your hand, Pastor, would you pray for me? I just need some prayer today. I've been suffering, I've been in hardship, I've been in pain. I'm dealing with a hard situation and I need help. Father, I just thank you for those who have their hand raised right now, Jesus. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be the great comforter and that you would heal right now in every way. Father God, I pray that you would speak to their situation. You may place your hand down. I want to just say something real quickly. I want to tell you this, is that when life hits, when life hits hard, and the spiritual battle hits, I'm just going to tell you this, that as that does, and you have this emotional pain or this experience, what happens is you start identifying with that pain. Here's why. It, you, you can read science and, and, and basically how your neurons are wired. If you have an, a, a pain, if you have a cut, you have a wound, it, it's weird because if you press pressure on it, it actually makes it feel better. Like if you scratch the itch, it makes it feel better. Like, man, this is, man, this feels so good, right? It, it's amazing because what happens is in your brain, your neurons fire differently and, and, and it, it re-triggers the pain elements where you no longer feel the pain like you felt before. But the thing is, if you keep applying pressure to the pain, it'll never heal up. And I'm going to say this because I believe this is powerful because emotionally, there's been a lot of pain. Emotionally, there's been things that you have been embracing and pain that you walked in and you keep reliving that pain. You keep putting pressure on that moment because it feels better. And I'm going to just tell you, it's never going to heal until you let go of that pain pressure. Let go of that pain point and you let God rewire you. That the primary cause of rewiring is supernatural, that God can show up. But the secondary cause of how you're wired and he made your brain, he can start healing that. Jesus, I pray, God, that whatever it is, whether it's physical or emotional today, I pray, Father God, that the pain that we are feeling would not be a pain that we soak in, would not be a pain that we keep putting pressure on, but God, would we give it to you in Jesus' name? And would you move, God, right now? I pray that you would supernaturally move into our natural circumstance and that you would rewire our brain, that you would rewire these moments. And God, that you would speak to these emotions and you'd speak to these moments. And God, I pray that the people would be set free in Jesus' name in this place. Because you're good and you're faithful and you're true. In Jesus' name. Amen.